He's the talk radio guy and best-selling author who sees life as an ongoing version of Forrest Gump. She's the award-winning TV reporter that gave up the if it bleeds, it leads mentality of the news. Two different points of view, from parenting to politics, from football to finance, from the environment to education. If it's going on in the world, these two have an opinion. Here is John and Jen. Glad to have you joining us once again on John and Jen. I am John St. Augustine, and that is my dynamic duo partner in all things radio, Jennifer Weigel. I got, hey you, I got you covered, kid. Don't worry I about it. I got your back, as we say here in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Good to be here, my friend, as always. And always, always, always. I got to tell you, we're picking up steam with this show. I, I really enjoy getting comments from people. All the critiques, I just throw those away. So they're all good comments. No, there's been no <laughs> critiques at all, really. Mm-hmm. But people are really enjoying honest talk that matters. Honest meaning we're both here just kind of laying it out. And whether you like it or don't like it, I can't control much of that. But we make every attempt to have conversation that is above the board, meaning you know, we may touch on politics, but not it's not political. We may touch mm-hmm. on uh, religious things, but it's more spiritual. We may touch on things in society, but it's not really about picking apart society for better or for worse or up and down or who's right or who's wrong. I think we're just coming at a lot of these themes as we always have uh, from our own perspective. And I think that's what people are hearing and and, uh, apparently enjoying. You know, frequency matters. And we talked about that, I think, in the first episode. Power versus Force, a very, very powerful book. Dr. David Hawkins, an MD, Mm -hmm. who talked about kinesiology and different things and different emotions having different vibrations, right? And if you're in fear and your rage and apathy and panic, those are low numbers. Love and above. Love is 500 and above and connecting people. And so I think having that purpose, right, where each week we're connecting people instead of trying to stay in the sludge, as many of these programs do, they want to keep us fighting because yeah. that keeps people in business. But no, don't want to stay fighting. We want to we want to be connecting the dots. And that's what I love doing with you each week. So much of what goes on in our business is always like a radio tug of war. Left, right, left, right. Friggin' wears me out because most people live in the center. And that's where that's at. And that's where they put that red flag in the middle. You're pulling back and forth and who's going to win back and forth. And there is no winners. Maybe temporary, but claiming a win, I think, is really a silly thing and we're number one until you're not you know what though everybody likes the middle everybody likes the centers oreo included it's the best part Uh, of the cookie (laughs) very cool they were in the news this week too oreos weren't they absolutely now i gotta ask you one thing right out of the gate about oreos Mm. okay dunk them or don't dunk them totally dunk them let them soak for a long time because all those chemicals (laughs) take a while to absorb the goodness (laughs) so you got to use like a, a spoon to get it back out of the milk glass pretty much yeah and you know I mean, I hate to say this, but there are so many chemicals that aren't good for you in those cookies. I mean, I know they're a staple from our childhood. Oh, only if they're at somebody's house and I happen to be, you know, over. I would never (laughs) buy them by choice, but there are, you know, hey, they're in the headlines. They were a part of my childhood. That and Braunschweiger and (gasps) Mystery Meat. (laughs) Braunschweiger. (laughs) Do you remember that? I still remember. I just had some last week. Oh, come on. You buy it now by choice as an adult? Absolutely. (laughs) I'm just reliving. You know what my favorite sandwich is? Sandwich, S-A-M-M-I-C-H. What? My favorite sandwich, and it goes back to a memory I had when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, is a bologna sandwich Yeah. on white bread yep. with uh, Cool Whip. I'm sorry, Cool Whip? Miracle Whip. Cool Whip would be really interesting. <laughs> Miracle Whip yeah. and uh, some butter lettuce. Oh, yeah. Very plain. But, you know, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, once here we roll back the Wayback Machine one time, 
I had some friends, a couple twins, John and Joe McInerney. John and Joe, if you're listening anywhere out there, thanks so much for the sandwich. Mm. Their mom worked at like a, um, a, a country club. Mm-hmm. And there was a pool there. And in the summertime, we would go in rotation with John and Joe. We called them the Beef Brothers. Not because they were big, but because they lived right near Western Giant Beef on Montrose Avenue near Elston in nice. Chicago, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they lived by Western Giant Beef, they were Beef Brothers. They apparently, the rumor was they ate there every day forever. I don't know that's true. Mm-hmm. But we got to go to the country club one time, and Mrs. McInerney packed 400 sandwiches all the same. Bologna, Miracle Whip, white bread, and that nice lettuce. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I had some of that when I was at home, but we always used mustard. So to me, Miracle Whip was like the new, I mean, it was like the universe opened up. So to this day, Ms. Weigel, yeah. when I feel like I want to roll back things a little bit, I'll go get some Oreos, I'll get that sandwich, maybe a Coca-Cola or a Fanta grape, and I'm living mm-hmm. all right. You're good. And the mm-hmm. MSG will keep you alive for a million years. <laughs> but no, truly, it's to bring to your point on that sandwich, So I just co-wrote a book for the Murray family uh, called Eat, Drink, and Be Murray because Andy Murray, Bill Murray's brother, is a chef. And the Murray family, to keep those siblings, now there were nine Murray kids, six boys, three girls, and to keep them fed throughout the day, they would have a a loaf of Wonder or Butternut, either one, right, on the counter, and, and Miracle Whip and lettuce. It was iceberg, though. Now get this, peanut butter. So peanut butter, lettuce, mayonnaise, sandwich that was their go-to holdover until dinner and they would eat that over the sink and then when they were introduced to hellman's they transitioned from miracle whip to hellman's and so he said listen to this day if you're (laughs) if you walk up to any of the murray brothers and you hand them a peanut butter lettuce and mayo sandwich they will stop right where they are and eat it in that very moment i I also got that's fantastic is that going to be in the cookbook by the way of course all right Mm -hmm. wonder helps build strong bodies 12 ways (laughs) wonder bread it's a freaking wonder we still eat it and the uh uh, but for me, if I if I want to have like a like a guilty pleasure with a sandwich, I'll go to. We used to have um, Roman meal as a kid. It was this. Oh, that was getting real fancy and healthy. Oh like sneak yeah. in there every once in a while. Yeah, little Roman meal, and then you mm-hmm. took the the bologna. Now back in the day, we never bought bologna like I do now at a deli counter. It was always Oscar Mayer because that's what the yep. brand yep. was. Mm-hmm. And you put that on there with some crunchy peanut butter. So crunchy peanut butter and bologna. I'm in. Okay, so All now in. that we're talking mystery meats, remember pimento <laughs> loaf. Every day at school, (laughs) every day my mom would make a pimento loaf on white bread. It was so thin you could read through it. Right. Well, when we were in high school and we were really bored and had nothing better to do, we used to uh, get thinly sliced pimento loaf at the White Hen. I'm dating myself now. The White Hen, may it rest in peace. And we would go drive around. And if somebody, you know, like some people would TP somebody's house, we would pimento loaf somebody's (gasps) car. Get out. You'd smear the pimento all over it, the the meat? The meat, right? The slices, right? And unfortunately, a couple times it like peeled off the varnish. It was not a good thing. (laughs) That just shows you how many... How many chemicals are in the pimento mm. loaf? But I don't know where we got onto the point that I'm admitting my bad habits as a 16-year-old. But hey, I'm sure I'm not the only one who did bad things when they were 16. What's worse is at 63, I'm still eating the same shirt I ate when I was 16, <laughs> 17. I can, yeah. you know, you bring up that pimento loaf, Jen. You know, and then there was a pimento spread. Do you ever have the spread? It's like a cheese spread with the pimento in it. 
No, but there is a pimento. <laughs> no. There's a pimento and cheese sandwich in the Murray Cookbook, actually, because there's uh, a very see? famous sandwich. There's a very famous sandwich at the Augusta National, right, where they have yes, masters yes. that involves pimento and cheese, and it, it's like a panini type. And so that is what inspired this recipe for this book. So that's wow. in the sandwich chapter. Something with pimento. I'm telling you, if done right, it can be quite tasty. Well. It was done. My mom would buy that. So you'd, she'd alternate between the bologna sandwich with mustard, Plockman's mustard. It came in a little thing, looked like a barrel, and yep. the white. Everything was on white bread. Rarely, like I said, was this Roman meal thing. Uh, but that's it was the '60s and '70s. You know, everything. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what TV ta- uh, dinners were all about. Right. But um, if it wasn't that, then it was the pimento, as you mentioned. But then there was this pimento spread. It's like a cheese with the, with the pieces of pimento in it, and that was on the white bread. Literally, you could see through that as well if you held it up to the light. But I ate that three, four days a week, that rotation. And then on Fridays, oh boy, I got like two bucks to have a cheeseburger at school. It was a big deal and a sugar cookie. Oh my God. Well, speaking of cheese and the (laughs) cheesing spread, we had Velveeta. We kind of raised on that. You're killing me. Oh. We would put that. I mean, no, there was no better grilled cheese than that mystery still, cheese being melted. Is. Yeah, and so um, every once in a while, I will get a craving for American cheese, and, and this is the truth. Now, I, I was a wellness columnist I at know. the Chicago Papers, and I, you know, try to get me away from all of these, you know, chemicals in the food, and I try to bang this healthy drum. But you know, every once in a while, you will find. Jennifer Weigel at the drive-thru at the D&D at the Dunkin' Donuts and I get an everything bagel with egg and cheese and I don't know what kind of you know mystery protein that egg is but (laughs) that's a different story but the American cheese just right on top of that everything bagel I just sit in a corner sometimes and shamefully eat it and I just cannot kick the habit of American cheese every once in a while and it's so bad for me I know it but I just can't kick it hey listen sister cheese basically is shrink wrap for meat Jeez. That's what that's what, how I see. So you put the meat on the inside, then you put any kind of cheese and melt it, and it shrink wraps together. It's easier to eat it. I agree. Velveeta, totally man, you're oh. touching all the buttons today. But you mentioned Oreos, uh, and I had not until I read this article uh, that was at CNN. There is a term called oreology. It is the study of the cream-filled cookie sandwich. That cracks me up. Yeah, I mean, so I've been studying it for years. I just know I'd be looking at it and stuff. And there are people who like to twist them apart and then just eat the inside, which I can't understand. Why would you throw mm-hmm. the cookie away? And there are people who do the opposite. They just twist it apart and they only eat the uh, cookie and leave the inside. No, that's just silly. You know, when I was pregnant with my son, the people talk about cravings. And I had a craving for an Oreo cookie shake at Homer's, which oh, is an yeah. ice cream place on Green Bay Road here in in you know the suburb of Wilmette, just north of Chicago, and literally I would I would sit outside like waiting for them to open, and I would waddle in to go get my Oreo shake because I was bedridden when I felt I fell down the stairs when I was 24 weeks pregnant. It was pretty scary stuff, and so the doctor was like, "Hey, you know, strict bed rest. The mm-hmm. only exercise you are allowed to do is like literally just walk down the stairs and plop yourself on the couch." And so I would sit there and watch. VH1 behind the music and learn everything there was to learn about Guns and Roses and yep. watch the worst reality shows ever, like Flavor of Love. I know way too much about Flavor, <laughs> Flavor Flav now. of Love now and all these horrible, horrible shows. But I would sit there, and then when I was finally allowed to get up and do something, it was get in the car and go to Homer's and get an Oreo cookie shake. <laughs> Man, I'm learning more about you than I've ever learned. <laughs> Sorry. In the 20- no, this is all good stuff. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. It goes on to say, whether you prefer the filling intact on one half of the cookie or spread evenly when you open up, researchers have asked the long, plaguing question. 
Mm-hmm. I don't have a long plaguing question, but they do. And I'm shaking my fist here. How do you make sure that you get the Oreo just the way you want it every time? And it goes on to talk about uh, Crystal Owens, who is the lead author of this study published in the uh, Journal of American Institute of Physics for Oreos, right? So Miss mm-hmm. Owens published that she's lead author. She says, when I was little, I tried twisting the wafers to split the cream in the middle evenly between the wafers so there's some on both halves, which in my opinion tastes much better than having one wafer with a lot of cream on it and one with almost none. This was hard to do when I was trying it by hand. So they came up with something called an Oreo meter. Mm-hmm. It is a device designed to split the cookie with a scientifically precise amount of torque, a measure of force, of course, used to rotate an object. And the hope was with the perfect twist, researchers could manipulate the cookie's filling to distribute it evenly between the two wafers. And alas... They failed. They failed. Mm-hmm. So how much money do you think was spent on this study? And was it taxpayer dollars? I hope not. Yeah, you know, I could not find that in my research, Miss Wagner. That's the first thing I was wondering. How b- I could tell you right now, every kid has their own built-in Oreo meter. Whether you like to throw it in the, the pool and let it swim around for a while and pull it out later, as Miss Weigel does, mm-hmm. I personally would like to just take six or seven, shove them in my mouth, <laughs> get my teeth black, <laughs> and then wash my teeth down with milk. With milk. Yeah, yeah. exactly. (laughs) And I think they have a new thing out, like an Oreo cake cookie thing. Have you seen that? No. Yeah, it's it's like, it's along the lines of a ding dong or a hostess kind of deal, you know, like the cupcakes. It's like a, it's a, it's a cookie or like a spongy type thing, like a Twinkie almost, but it's like an Oreo at the same time. Okay, well, you know, brilliant. you can't go wrong with that brilliant <laughs> flavor. But like I said, everything in moderation, people. Everything Absolutely. in moderation. Velveeta, huh? Oh, <laughs> Put that in the broiler on top of your tuna. Make the tuna melt a little bit of a, oh, oh man, that was that was good eating. Good, good stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, part of this stuff, if not all of the stuff that we uh, dig up for the show these days is now online. It's all digital. The, the shows are digital. All the information we gather is digital. But it's gotten more and more that we spend all this time online. And the more time that you spend online, the more susceptible I think you are to the people who are nefarious about what's going on online and able to become a victim of some sort of identity theft. I've had a couple times in the past where at four o'clock in the morning, my I was getting text messages from my bank saying, thanks for buying stuff in Los Angeles. And of course I wasn't. Right. So that's been really the only time I got the money back. It wasn't too big of a deal, but uh, you've recently run into some of this with your mom, didn't you? Yeah, so interestingly, I get this friend request on Facebook from my mother, and I'm like, well, first of all, she just got on Facebook a few months ago, and I was already friends with her, so that was weird. And then a couple other people said the same thing. Hey, I got a friend request. from, And then last night, I get a text from my cousin that said, I had the weirdest messenger chat with your mother. And I'm like, uh-oh. And she had shut down her Facebook page as soon as she realized there was you know, somebody stealing her name and all of her photos. So apparently they were reaching out to her, quote, new friends, this fake version of my mother, trying to get people to invest in some scam. And I just say this to everybody, like, first of all, put on your intuitive cap here for a second. If somebody you know is reaching out to you and trying to get you to invest in something, like, pick up the freaking phone, people, and call them. Don't just be like, oh, wait, what? I mean, and I said this to my cousin. I said, what the heck is wrong with you? Why would you think my mother would be reaching out to you to do some <laughs> some, some investment in real estate? You guys haven't <laughs> talked in 20 years, you know? And she goes, well, I thought it was a little weird, but I, I was just trying to be nice. And I think that's the thing. We, we're just trying to be nice, but we didn't think that it's really that people are capable of this. And so on top of that, and then the week before we talked about somebody stealing my identity on Instagram, you know, all these people with too much spare time trying to bilk money out of 
innocent folks. I think I see this more and more with the over 65 crowd where they get either a call, you know, and they instill panic. And this what this is what happened with my mom yesterday. She gets a call. She said a man had a, a foreign accent. She could barely understand what he was saying. And that he mentioned that there was a, an approved purchase for an iPhone to the tune of $999 and just making sure that my mom was okay with this charge. And of course, my mom thinking this was legit went, no. And then he says, oh, well, let me let me clear this up for you. And let me get your bank information and, and give me, you know, please confirm your social security. I mean, they were Jeez. all that stuff. And so thankfully, she was cognizant enough to say uh, no and then hung up. But she thought it was, poor, you know, more of this identity theft continuing and so I just had to give her the hard talking to that these people prey on others and hope that they instill panic so much so that you start revealing personal information. And so anybody out there that is listening, you know, you get those scammer numbers, they pop up, you answer them within four seconds, you can hear that it's not legit. Go right into your settings and put block this caller. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so easy. Just block this caller. I have to do it four or five times a day. Oh my it is gosh, so rampant. really? Well, you're more popular awful. than I am. So, no, you know. it's just it's just <laughs> bored people that just put your number through some sort of churn and burn, and and it's just it's it's ridiculous the kind of energy mm. we spend on it. So just be an alert. There's no way if you know use your intuition, people. You know, really, if if somebody that you're friends with is reaching out to you wanting two hundred thousand dollars for a real estate investment, probably not gonna happen. Probably not legit. Yeah, I've gotten a few texts over the years from friends of mine who had been hacked. These were text messages saying that they, or is it email, I think. They were email, they weren't text. So their email was hacked and I was getting these, hey, I'm in Sao Paulo, I lost my wallet and oh, I need you to send go. me, right? I'm gonna, I'm in jail or I gotta do whatever and can you send me and can you go to the store and buy Visa cards? And I'm like, what? So of course I ended up calling the person and they're like, yeah, I've been in jail. No, I'm not. And they got 20 phone calls besides me, you know, let them know. And the email stuff comes in quite a bit on my end. You can tell by the sender's email address if it's legit or not. I get stuff all the time from PayPal or other places, mm -hmm. Ticketmaster, whatever. And it's somebody's name up there. If it's somebody's name up there, it's not real. And you can look for spelling errors and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's just best just to delete that stuff and get out of it. But it is, it is a constant annoyance. There's no question. Yeah, it's the world we live in. So we just got to keep laughing and keep eating Oreos. <laughs> you know, you mentioned a moment ago, and this was something I had come across and I've been watching actually for quite a while, but you mentioned there are people out there who just want to take advantage of other people. And that's just the way that it goes. It's always been that way, but on a, on a digital basis, it's gotten more and more easy, for, like you said, to some scumbag, lower life form, sit back you know, in his parents' basement, dinking around a computer, trying to get people to give him money instead of getting a real job, like mm -hmm. measuring Oreos or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And... The co-founder of the We Build the Wall project aimed at raising money for the border wall pled guilty Thursday. Now, this is the co-founder. Pled guilty last week to charges in a case that once included former President Donald Trump's advisor, Steve Bannon. Brian Colfidge admitted to pocketing hundreds of thousands of dollars while promising all donations would pay for the wall. He, his plea came, and this is a plea deal, his plea came a month before a trial in a case that began in dramatic fashion back in 2020. It's been two years, as I mentioned, when Bannon was pulled off a luxury yacht off the coast of Connecticut and arrested on allegations that he and three others ripped off donors trying to fund that southern border wall. Bannon was pardoned by Trump just before he left office last year. He had pled guilty not to charges that he pocketed over a million. 
Well, he might have had less than that, so it wasn't over a million. Mm-hmm. Using some of the money to secretly play Colfage, this other guy that was the co-founder, a 39-year-old Air Force veteran who lost both legs in a mortar attack in Iraq. So thank you for your service, but you're an idiot. Well, okay. yeah, so wait, people are looking at him and paying on, you know, oh, poor guy, he was in the service and he lost both of his legs. Let me write a check. And then he goes and he's stealing? Yeah. A guilty plea last Thursday by co-defendant financier Andrew Badatalo, 57 years old, in the case during the same remotely conducted electronic hearing before a U.S. district judge, meant that only one of the four defendants originally charged might actually go to trial. So they all pled out, basically, except one's going to end up going to trial. Plea agreements between the government and uh, the defendants specified the defendants will not challenge sentences within an agreed-to guideline. For Colfage, that range was four to five years for what he had done. For Batalo, it was about three and a half to four years. Sentencing won't come till this September. And mm. th- he, com- you know, wire fraud conspiracy, tax evasion charges, all this because he wanted to build a wall. And he built the people who believed in what he was doing. Now, these are the same people that believe that we need a wall, obviously, and that's their choice. Mm-hmm. With no oversight, no, there's, there was no wall. And it never happened. There's no wall built by, from what this money that was sent. The organizers of the We Build the Wall group raised more than $25 million mm. from thousands of donors as they repeated the pledge that every single dollar would be used for the project. Guess what? Didn't happen. Didn't happen. And no different, I think, on some level, except that they were caught then the people are going after your mom's stuff or anybody else's stuff. So I really, I don't know what burns my butt any more than I cleaned up my act. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. It's not Nicely easy. Done. Good Thank catch. you. Thank you. Good catch. Uh, burns my butt more than people who take advantage of other people or the people who allow themselves to be taken advantage of because they're blind to what's going on. And I'm thinking to myself, if I was one of these people that sent a check for a thousand bucks to get a wall built and this guy put the money in his pocket or bought a car or went on vacation, mm-hmm. I'd find him. Well, they, they were showing all over the news the COVID relief money. People were using it to go take five-star vacations or, yeah. you know, to, to, to go to Mexico or to go to Europe or do this or get on a private jet and all these things. That money, for those who didn't go through the process of applying and needed it terribly and lost their business and lost everything while these yahoos are sitting on, on you know, private jets, mm-hmm. it's just it's just nauseating and, and you it just kind of makes you wonder – there's got to be a special place in the inferno, I think, for, for people like that. <laughs> Stoke like it up. They're that. coming in. Mm-hmm. Come on. <laughs> and look, I'm not saying this doesn't happen on all sides of the spectrum. This is just a particular headline case that was easy to follow for me. And because it was such a newsworthy event at the time as it was going on, we're going to build this wall. We're going to save everybody and do this. The very same people built their own people out of cash. In Chicago, we deal with that stuff. You know what I'm saying? I got a guy. I got a guy. Absolutely right. And the other part of this that kind of really bothers me is that it'll probably be forgotten. You know, the, that whatever, I don't know where all the rest of that money went or what they're doing. But there was no wall built. It didn't change things one iota. But you get people worked up over stuff and they think that this is how they're going to participate. And then they get bilked by their very, it's like they're all drinking their own urine here. Mm. I don't understand that. I can't even imagine being in that position. And you know, what I was going to kind of pinpoint to is that I learned a long time ago from a friend of mine who uh, is a manager for some very high level, well-known movie people and singer songwriters and things like that. He said, you know what I learned a long time ago, John, that money doesn't change people. It just brings out who they really are. It does. And it, the greed and the ego involved, you know, the Bertie Madoff kind of things. Mm. And there's one of the shows that I got hooked on is called Episodes. Have you seen Episodes? I have not. Oh my gosh, it's so freaking, there I was, cleaning up. Nice Nice job. 
so freaking hilarious. It's Matt LeBlanc, and it's based on like the true story of him trying to get a show after Friends and how hard it was. And oh, it really? Originally, yeah, it originally aired on Showtime. And this cast, this British cast, I mean, Tam, Tamsin Gregg uh, is just so brilliant as this, there's this couple and they come from the UK. They have like the highest rated show in the UK. So the head of like the NBC kind of equivalent goes to the UK, woos these two to come to the US to build a show around Matt LeBlanc. And, you know, Matt LeBlanc is playing himself and mm-hmm. it is so hilarious john you've got to watch it it is so i got so hooked during the pandemic and i just didn't want it to end and i was revisiting some episodes and there's a whole storyline where he gets sucked unfortunately there's like a bernie madoff kind of thing where his mm. guy just loses a lot of his money and he's got to go downsize from you know he's got to sell the private jet and sell the vineyard and you're like oh my gosh princess problems but yeah. it's just he's like wait a minute did he do this did he do this how many others got it you know it's like all these celebrities got hit by these crooked managers and these people just are making the money and they're giving it to these people that is such an incredible exchange of trust and i can see why some people in the celebrity realm are so mm, apprehensive to just trust anybody because mm-hmm. they're literally taking everything. And But then again, you're talking millions and billions of dollars that, you know, hey, right. can you share a little over here? <laughs> I got to put a kid through college. Throw me a bone, eh? Come in. <laughs> Throw a bone over here. <laughs> but yeah, put episodes on your uh, must-watch list. It's, and anybody it listening, if you, yeah, if you haven't and you want a good laugh, by the way, do not watch it with your teenager. There's a little bit of sex and a little bit of drugs going on because yeah. it is Hollyweird. Just note to self, I learned that one the hard way. I was like, whoa, let's just hit exit real quick. Yeah, over to, <laughs> over was that purple dinosaur, Barney? Let's go watch Barney. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, you talk about money and, and how people value things or waste money or whatever. And we just last week were talking about neither one of us could really understand why in the world Elon Musk would spend $44 billion, billion. Dollars mm-hmm. to take over Twitter. And I still don't understand that, but it does, to me, come to the point where what people value and what they don't. And it's all relative, I suppose. So it goes back to the thing that, you know, people show their true colors when they have the money and whatever he's going to do with this, you know, it's his business now at this point. But the guy in me that that hears the voices of the past, especially when it comes to environmental challenges and what goes on with humans around the world, the suffering that goes on in the world that we all allow, man, I could have done some good with 44 billion more than by Twitter. Oh, no kidding. I was literally thinking of that. Like, what could that 44 billion have done other than create this sort of, um, what's the word, a monopoly of mm. all communication infrastructures? I mean, what, we have three people, Zuckerberg, Musk, and one other, like that basically control everything. And, and you can't have that and have a free society. You can't have just four guys in charge. You know, like enough with the white guys in charge. No offense, current mm-hmm. company included, no but offense, like we David. need, we need some, we need some other tentacles to this octopus, if you will. And they just, this is just making it worse. I remember when I was a good old traffic reporter, shadow traffic, when I started out as a traffic reporter, you know, outbound Kennedy to O'Hare, <laughs> and it was it was shadow traffic and metro traffic, and the two were competitors. And it, you know, you always kept you on your toes because you wanted to beat metro, you wanted to be the first one to get the crash and report it and all that stuff. You know how terrible, right? In competition to report on what was wrong with the traffic, but then. They bought each other, and it was like we were just one yeah. conglomerate. And it was like, well, wait a minute. Now we we're just shadow traffic, and it's Metro is underneath shadow. And I mean, that's the same thing, like Pete's Coffee being bought by Starbucks. And mm-hmm. it just keeps happening and happening and happening, and everybody's got a price. Apparently, everybody's got a price. 
I know Hellman's never been bought out, right? No. Hellman's mayonnaise, that's all I care. Miracle I Whip buys Hellman's oh, or, or vice versa. That's it. I, I give up. Yeah. As word spread of uh, the $44 billion takeover Twitter, prominent Republican lawmakers gained thousands of followers overnight, while some key Democrats lost thousands, nearly three quarters, 72% of the Republicans' accounts gained Twitter followers in the 24-hour span after the, the sale. And the biggest winners... Doesn't really matter because I don't want to talk about them. And all the losers, doesn't really matter because I'm not going to even say their names. But the point is, I don't understand, or nor do I care because I'm not on Twitter, how valuable this may be. So uh, apparently a lot of the the losses for the Democrats came because people deactivated accounts or starting different accounts. I, I just don't know how it matters in any way, shape, or form that you gain or f- lose followers. You're already out in the world. Mm-hmm. And don't we need more leaders than followers? But that's a different show. Yeah, that is a different show. And we need more billionaires, right? Let's just get some more, well, I guess maybe not. Not more billionaires. We need more millionaires if the billionaires were willing to share. Because how much do you really need when they die? Where are they going to give it? Who are they going to donate it to? You know, what's going to be done with it? I don't know. Do something good with it. Give it to people who need scholarships to go to college because they can't afford the $70,000 a year in tuition. Like, Jeez, there's I all know. these things you could do. You know, and there are, we'll have to balance this out next week. I'll, I'll do some digging and find, because you know, there's a lot going on. If, one of my favorite sites is goodnewsnetwork.com. And that's where all the good stuff's going on. This is all, to me, fodder. This is just churned up. This is this is stuff that's left over once you cleaned out the furnace, the slag that's left. All that yeah. stuff doesn't mean anything to me. So yeah, it made headlines. But if I had $44 billion, first of all, since I'm not on Twitter, it ain't happening. And mm-hmm. secondly, again, I could come up with three or 400 outlets and entities and colleges and universities mm-hmm. and nonprofits that I'd be happy to dole that money out to for the next 500 years. But my question is, and you've done some of this, I'm sure you've been to these silent auctions and celebrity auctions and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm hosting one uh, coming up at a, a fundraiser to, you know, uh, that's mm-hmm. a really important thing when you align yes. yourself with a charity. And I have a nonprofit myself, the Storytelling Education Project, to connect people and heal through storytelling. But it's a big responsibility. Yes. You got to make sure it's being spent the right way. And so I do some of that for my high school, uh, alma mater, Schurz in Chicago. Yeah. I've been doing that for about, we're going in our ninth year. And so we, we get donated items or I'll buy some items and things like that. And then I watch right. people bid on these silent auction items. And I'm amazed at what people will pay for emotion, memories, whatever. So part of our deal is, of course, all the money. I don't take any money. Right, exactly. Right, up, right out of the my time. gate. I yeah, donate my uh-huh. time. I don't get paid right. to do this. Not like the you-know-who said he needs to build a wall and takes thousands. I'm not mm-hmm. that guy. Mm-mm. But I watch people bid on these silent auction items. And it goes up higher, higher, higher. And I'm thinking, this is amazing because it's perceived value. Right? right. I'll give you a perfect example. Le- a couple of years ago, a friend of mine who unfortunately passed away in in 2020 had purchased a Walter Payton uh, autographed jersey. Actually, the jersey was autographed. There was a card in the frame autographed by Sweetness and had mm-hmm. a couple other things in there and, and it had been sitting for two years because he passed and we had to wait because of COVID to do this event. And I believe he probably paid about 450 bucks for the thing. He got it at a different auction. And it went for, I don't know, $1,600. Wow. And so, you know, there's an investment made on his end, but he, you know, just donated it. And I'm amazed at how people will, you know, the perceived value of something. So the perceived value to me of Twitter is zip. No. Nothing. Nada. (laughs) I don't give a shirt. Who cares? According to Elon Musk, it's worth $44 billion. It's so interesting how different it is. But back to this whole thing about going to these events, have you ever bid on anything or seen anything like that? Yeah, so 
it's uh, like, what is your experience worth, right? What is the experience worth? And here's a funny, true story. It was probably seven, eight years ago. I was at a fundraiser that Joel Murray, again, goes back to the Murray brothers. Uh, he does, he has a first responders sort of charity event here in Chicago, which is great. It's up at the um, golf course, the the Canal Shores Golf Course here in Evanston is a local golf course, and he basically throws a big party for first responders. Okay, and That's they great. have this, yeah, they have this auction where, you know, if you bid on it, you get to fly down to St. Augustine, Florida, good, for good their city, I you like know, it. right where they have their original Caddyshack restaurant, mm-hmm. and basically hang out with the Murrays in the VIP area and golf mm. and listen to music yeah, and man. have a great time. So I looked at. Two of my girlfriends, right? It was it was a pack for four people, and I said, "Let's all do it, and we'll we'll split it," you know, like, and mm-hmm. we, we and we got it. You did, so, yeah, seven years ago, and it was like, you know, it was like eight hundred each, right? Which was wow, yeah. really, but at the time I was working for the Tribune, I was like, "Hey, I got this," and it, was a, and, it, and it was a uh, tax write off too because it was That's a donation right. to That's a right. nonprofit, and so we went down to St. Augustine, and I have to tell you, and because I did that. Lo and behold, look at this. Seven years later, I am now writing the cookbook for that family. So it yes. just goes to show you never know what, you know, just say yes. I mean, if you can make it happen, the mm-hmm. biggest regret that our souls have, and I only know this because I've interviewed a lot of people who've had near-death experiences and they've come back to talk about it, and they say the biggest regret, you know, in the lounge, if you will, mm-hmm. is the things they didn't do because they said, oh, no, I can't take the time off or I, I just can't, you know, I can't make that work. And because they grind their gears and grind and grind, they're so busy being humans doing instead of being a human being they don't take the time to do those things so if i could say i stepped out of my comfort zone and all because of that seven years later now i'm i'm, I'm writing a cookbook for the family so you just never know how things are going to turn out that's exactly right and in full disclosure mm-hmm. you have participated in helping us raise money for sures uh, yeah. i do a thing called lunch with a legend and of course in the chicagoland area your name and your work is legendary and we pet we uh, partner that up with Tom Skilling, who's the most well-known meteorologist on planet Earth. Absolutely. Literally walks on water. I'm convinced of that. Yes, he, he is. He's just quite a guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to lunch at one of my favorite restaurants here in Chicago, La Villa, and we had people who bid on that. And then we had people who kept bidding on that and rose, the, you know, the price went up higher and higher. And finally we said, that's enough. But they had an experience. I'm really glad you pointed out because the experience is what it's all about. And they all know that the money is going, you know, we're paying the bill for dinner for everybody and all the money goes to help kids. And to make a point, this just happened recently because you never know where that's going to come in, in, uh, into play. In Chicago, and I believe this is in most major cities in the United States, there is a thing in Chicago called STLS kids, Students in Temporary Living Situations. Mm. When I went to school, we didn't have anybody like that. Right. And... Uh, all we did was eat bologna sandwiches and think the world was perfect. So about five, six years ago, we found out that there was, at that point, there was about 75 kids in, this, in a student body out of, at that point, 2,500, that did not have a permanent home, that something mm. had happened by you know no fault of their own. So we made that our number one priority. And just recently, especially with Ukraine in the, in the headlines, this was really quite unbelievable. I got a note from someone at Shures who said, can you help us out? Um, we have a student who's a senior, 18-year-old senior, who also has a younger brother who's in eighth grade. Their mother was deported three years ago. The ah. fa- the family they've been living with for the last three years, they're going back to the Ukraine to aid in the fight against Russia. <sighs> and these kids won't have a place to live at the end of the month. Oh my gosh. And you think we're having a bad day. 
So See, that's that. Okay, Elon Musk. I mean, how many right. stories are there like that where right. just a couple grand would just tip the well, scale? Big exactly, time. and that's what we're doing. We're gonna we're we're putting and we we voted on it. Of course, this is why we do these kind of things. So there it is in a nutshell, kind of like how what we would do with with that kind of money. And so we do this event every year and people make donations and they, and they show up and we have a great time. It's the celebration of Bulldog Nation. But the offshoot of that is to be able to write a check for this young lady at this particular time. And of course, everybody comes together. So on our level, even though it's not billions, it's only thousands of dollars. It makes a difference. It does. Every no doubt about bit that. Does. And then just even your time and your energy makes a difference. That's what equity can't be discounted. So just know that too. Everything we talked about, except for the Oreos, I think they could last forever. All the rest of it is just dust in the wind. What Elon Musk does or doesn't do with his money, really none of my business. How I apply what I'm up to, of course, that is my business. But uh, And part of my business recently just became a little sadder as word came that I lost a, a dear cousin of mine, uh, a distant cousin, but we were close over the years because uh, every summer... Uh, we'd leave Chicago and go to the great north of Appleton, Wisconsin, all of what, mm, 300 nice. miles away? Yeah. yeah, but it was so different because I grew up as a city kid, always wanted to live in the country, and a lot of my cousins up there on my mom's side lived the country life. They were out in the wilds of Appleton, which is very different now than it was then. And uh, there was a farm. Uncle Ronnie had a farm and you know, running through the corn at night, man, with bare feet. In the, with that cold ground and wow. going to the Fox River and, and wading in the river trying to catch tadpoles and motorcycles. It just, for two weeks out of the year, it was heaven, literally. And one of my favorite guys was Ricky. He always wanted to be a, a, a drive a garbage truck. For The only reason he wanted to drive a garbage truck because they were big and they were loud. And so it was all about big, <laughs> loud things for Rick and to drive these garbage trucks. And we'd get to his place. It was Uncle Dick and Aunt Ruth, and it was Ricky and Liz. And uh, Rick had all the toys, which were really his dad's, but it was the first time. And for a guy like me back in the day, Jen, to get on a riding lawnmower, man, might as well be on the moon. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's funny because I've been going up to this farm in Wisconsin to do these events, actually, a lesson and lunch, ride a Mm -hmm. horse for an hour, you know, get back on the horse, literally, for people, whether they've ridden a lot or never ridden before. And there's something that happens as soon as I get within about 10 miles of the farm, I can start Mm. to feel my blood pressure go down. And as soon as I walk out into the barn, and then there you are, and you've got, you know, it's just you and the animals, and then she's got this organic garden and all the chickens, and, you know, I come from a lineage of farmers. My grandpa was a really? farmer. And yeah, oh my gosh, my grandpa was a dairy farmer, my uncle was a dairy farmer. I mean, we we ate cheddar cheese like most people ate apples. <laughs> you know, here's a chunk of cheese, you know, okay, thanks. <laughs> and it was just, you know... It's, it was part of growing up. We would just yeah. go up to the weekend and, and just kick our shoes off and, you know, talk about spider bites. And, you know, now everybody's so worried about ticks and this and that and the other. And you talk about walking barefoot. I mean, I just think about it. It was like we would just get bare back on the horses. You just yep. jump up on the horse and grab onto the mane, and it was like you were right out of a Western. Uh, now you couldn't pay me to do that. I'd be so terrified. Sure. But as a kid, you're so... You're so, I just remember the first time I rode the horse and how scary that feeling was. It was like, oh, it was so out of control that then you get that comfort level going again. And, and, and so just recently I've been feeling that calling and that calling has been get up and out of the concrete jungle, if you will, yep. and out into the country and you will, you will feel your, you know, your heartbeat again. You can feel yourself breathe. You can hear yourself think. And so my friends were like, well, do you have the internet up there? And I was like, <laughs> No. I don't, you know, and it's like, well, don't you need it? What I said, guess what? I'll be fine. 
I know where I can go. I can drive into Kenosha, for gosh sakes, and send a file if I have to. Yeah, yeah. You'll be connected to the world yeah. in a very different way. Not It's yeah. not an electronic tether. Yeah, completely. So you know? I, I know what you're talking about. Just, But I'm so sorry for your loss. That's Well, that's yeah, you know, it, it, and I hadn't seen him for a few years. Uh, but when I think of him, I go back to those days when we were just boys together out, out in the summer night and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. the, we called it the prairie. It wasn't a prairie, but to us it was. It was where his house was in uh, Appleton. And between the, the edge of the house and like where Highway 40 run cuts through north and south, right. there was an expanse there that had not been built yet. So, you know, for me, I, a big deal. Get on there. And drive the lawnmower at one mile per hour with the oh, headlights yeah. on in the dark. Oh my gosh, it was such a big deal. He also had a little thing that was before the uh, the four wheelers that are so popular now. It was called a Rupster. It was this little kind of two seated deal with these big tires on it. So it was just such a great time. And later, when we got older, was the greatest adventure that never happened. And probably good that it didn't. I was probably 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there. And we were still going, you know, all these years, mm-hmm. every summer. So everybody's really close. And Rick had bought a car. It was a 69 Chevelle. Man, it was a piece of work, I'm here to tell you. Yeah. This guy was meticulous. I mean, he was he's the kind of guy that would clean the engine with a toothbrush. You know what I'm saying? Jeez, yeah. yeah, I'm not that meticulous. But anyway, we were driving around, and one day we had the idea that what would be a great adventure at our advanced age mm-hmm. was to go to Kmart <laughs> and buy a rubber raft, an inflatable raft, a two-guy raft. Oh, sure. And we're going to row ourselves across Lake Butamore. Okay, why not? Yeah, you know, no life-saving devices <laughs> or anything. How many days would that take? <laughs> uh, right, about three months. Uh-huh. And I, we bought the raft, mm-hmm. got it. We were all juiced up, bought the raft, get in the car, drive to the edge of Lake Butamore, way up there. Uh, I think it's west of Appleton and, and south. And uh, we, we inflate the raft, blow it up. You know, it takes blow up a two-man raft. <laughs> oh, jeez. We're all passed out, right? <laughs> and we get the thing inflated and... Uh, we got maybe 35, 40 yards in ice cold water. I think it was like late summer, early fall. So mm-hmm. the car is parked there. We're in our shorts. Okay. We left our, our uh, clothes in the car. I think he left the then when you could leave your keys in the car. You know, there oh, was, sure. yeah, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, we got 35, 40 yards out into Lake Butamore, and you can see a storm coming. Uh oh. It's getting darker, and the waves are lapping, and we're pushing against it and pushing against it. At some point, we both looked at each other and said, We're going to drown. Uh-huh. <laughs> bottom okay. line they'll never find us they may find the raft they'll find the car they'll find our clothes they'll find the, the keys of the car and that's it we started to turn around at lightning and man we motored way back in wrapped the raft back up put it in the box took it back got a refund and went and bought ice cream oh jeez yeah <laughs> so he was the, I had those kind of memories with him and as we got older I, you know it, things change you get apart a little bit and I start having kids and uh, his wife, uh, Julie, just a sweetheart and his kids, Tyler and Hannah, um, you know, but th- what I wanted to get to while loss is difficult, I think there is something in about how we live that's more important than how we die. We always say, how did they die? And I'm like, well, but how did they live? Mm-hmm. You know, the cause of death will be determined, but the cause of life is determined by us. There was an anniversary of a legend, uh, Mike Royko, the great legendary columnist for many Chicago papers. He wrote over 7,500 daily columns, won the Pulitzer Prize for commentary. And, yep. uh, he passed away, um, it was this weekend. So it was actually April 29th in 1997. We're coming upon this anniversary, and I was thinking this week as I was leading up to that anniversary that just happened about him. And he was one of these really curmudgeon, old-school newspaper guys. I mean, mm-hmm. mean as hell, but but there's just this 
sort of essence about him. And a funny side to Mike Royko, you know, he knows every single word to the movie The Jerk with Steve Martin. <laughs> Is that right? Every single word. And I remember we were at a, you know, a birthday dinner and... <laughs> My soon-to-be husband at the time, you know, we were just newly engaged and what have you, and he was terrified because it was like this dinner with you yeah. know, his future in-laws and then like this Mike Royko, who's this legendary <laughs> columnist, and he's just thinking, oh my gosh, flop sweating, how is he going to get through it? So the waiter comes around and says, you know, what would you like? And and my <laughs> ex-husband said, I'd like tuna fish on white bread with mayonnaise, a tab, and a couple of Twinkies. And Royko looked at him and went, the jerk! <laughs> and put his arm around him and the two of them walked over to the bar and we never saw my ex-husband again for the rest of the night. They just, they literally talked about the jerk all night long and everybody was like, where did Royko go? But I just remember his, you know, softball was really important to him. Yes. And it was a really big deal and, and, and my dad had just kind of come into Chicago and he could play softball and 16 inches is a big, it's big the thing. thing man. It's the thing, that big gigantic softball with broken fingers everywhere. Yep. And, uh, you know, it was just a wonderful, all these stories of watching these guys tell stories growing up. You didn't realize how precious they were until, mm. of course, they're gone. So just, anyway. Yeah, yeah, just like with my cousin, you know, I think of that and uh, and those, they, they're locked in. You know, I, when I was mm -hmm. talking to his wife, I, 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 you know, I got very emotional. I thought, you know, this is another piece of the puzzle moved out of the way. But there are pieces that are intact. All I have to do is think about that riding a lawnmower. Every time I see a riding mm -hmm. lawnmower, I think about Ricky or... Those type of things. Uh, but real quick before we we're, we run out of time, I got to tell you, I got a Royco uh, story. Oh. Unfortunately, I can't finish it because of the language. Oh, sure. Always. Right? Mm -hmm. But anyway, a friend of mine's uh, brother worked for the Tribune. He was a delivery guy, but he ran like all the trucks or something. So he would have an annual luau in his yard mm -hmm. on the northwest side of Chicago. And so it was a big deal. They had a band there and all this kind of stuff. And everybody from the Trib showed up. And Ryko inevitably would show up to these, these events. So then again, this is when I was in high school in the 70s. And uh, one year, you know, Ryko walks in wearing a grass skirt, a really loud Hawaiian shirt, and a coconut bra. <laughs> With his glasses, you know, those big glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he comes That's walking great. in. Total deadpan. Like, yeah. he's, nothing's wrong. So this goes on for a while. He's having some old styles and Budweiser's, I'm sure. And at one point, I find myself by the keg next to him. Mm -hmm. And he says, hey, 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 you know, hey, great party. He says, uh, have you seen Don Ho's brother here? And I'm like, you know, I've had a few. And I'm like, Don Ho's brother, who's that? Uh -huh. Ass mm -hmm. Ho. <laughs> but he said it with a long A-Z-Z-Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. if the FCC gets on us, we'll know. But basically, it's a, your, your posterior... And yeah. HO at the end. There uh, you go. That was really, really funny. Well, the reason I brought up Rico in the first place is because he used to have a house up in Wisconsin, and my dad used to take us up there, and that's where he taught us how to drive. We'd get, he <laughs> yeah. literally put us in the, the driver's seat of the station wagon. We're like 10, 11 years old. Don't tell anybody, but like, mm -hmm. got our first feel in the back roads of Wisconsin up at uh, Rico's house. He had a house on, and this is the real name of the lake Boner Lake. <laughs> he lived on Boner Lake. <laughs> of course lake. he did. Yes, he did. Of course he did. You know, mm -hmm. the, the the part of this for me, though, my cousin worked his butt off for 40 years. Nice. I mean, he was a dedicated family guy. It's, it's, you know, he, the same meticulous way he took care of that first Chevelle, he took care of everything. He had a Corvette, he had Camaros. Mm -hmm. His garage was spotless. And he passed away, according to, to Julie, uh, in the garage as they were getting ready to go out for the day. We were having this conversation. And he says, she says, you know, do you think that maybe sometimes we get a say in how this goes? And I said, well, look, I, I, I don't have enough degrees to figure that out. But I do know 
in some ways, I think we die the way we live to, to a greater or lesser degree. Uh, I was with my father when he passed away and he kind of went out the way, you know, that was not unexpected. And for my cousin, Ricky, at the same age I am, basically 64 years old, to be working in his garage, tinkering with his cars, and then drop on the spot. She said he never wanted to go in a hospital, never wanted to put anything on anybody, never wanted to suffer. So maybe in some way, shape, or form, you know, that's how it needed to be for him. And I've always maintained for myself, can't speak for anybody else, but for myself, that I think we come in on time and we leave on time. And that's why the time in between is paramount. Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. I think about that too. My dear friend died on what is my son's birthday. So I asked myself that same question, like you're talking about with your cousin. And it's just another reminder that with an end becomes a beginning. And there's always celebration. Always. You can always find a reason to celebrate. No doubt. No doubt. And so one thing I know we've celebrated during this show is mayonnaise is the running theme of the show. <laughs> it all goes back to mayonnaise. It all goes back to mayonnaise. I'm sure that Ricky enjoyed a good mayonnaise sandwich when he was around. And sure. so I can't wait for this cookbook to come out because there's sandwiches in there. Oh, yeah. There's that- sandwiches. There's soups. It's like the comfort food book of all time. It's really, I, I made one of the um, the soups the other day. It's like a basic split pea with ham, but dang. It is so good. And then there's, of course, you know, you got your fish, you got your meat, you got your appetizers, and then there's all these funny family stories. Yeah, it's it's going to be hilarious. I can't wait for it to come out. You got any sausage in there? Oh, there's sausages. There's the lasagna with the Italian sausage. <laughs> you know, I say some of this stuff just to provoke you to say stuff like that. Because <laughs> it's a Chicago thing. It's so If people who are not from here don't get that, and it's it's we're, I think we're kind of proud of it because you don't say sausage, you say sausage. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Everybody knows if you've seen any movie from Chicago, and we've really done our part to taper <laughs> our Chicago yeah, accent because yeah. a Chicago accent, when you say accent, it's e accent. A gets three syllables. That's yeah, right. that's right. You know, and in radio, you don't want to sound too regional unless you're mm-hmm. in the region for your for your uh, you know your career, the totality of your career. But mm-hmm. there are we've had some. Um, radio people come from other markets here and the worst thing you can do is come from another market to Chicago mm-hmm. and mispronounce street names names of sandwiches and oh, yeah. and mayonnaise yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well listen it's been great always talking with you um, you're going to take care of her on the way out here because I always do the open it's your turn to finish this thing got it so as always great being with you John I'm Jen Weigel I'm Johnny St. Augustine over here We'll see you next week.